0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we are. We get to wrap 1 Corinthians chapter 15 up today. We've preached on this the last two weeks. Now we get to conclude with it. The next two weeks, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And then we're finished with the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, And then we'll dive into some other stuff with that. If you're new here, this is how we go. Um, I don't tell a lot of stories except for the story of the Bible. That's it. And we're gonna dive into it right now. We're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58. 35 through 58. We could unpack this together. This is really, really important. Here, let me tell you why. Uh, he, meaning Paul, has been writing from Ephesus to the people of Corinth. We know it's a trade route. We know that there's a lot of, like it was the cool city to live in, right? Um, on the count of three, everybody named the cool city to live in. Ready, set, go, one, two, three. I love it. I heard everything from Hudsonville to Colorado Springs. I think I heard a Fiji, uh, which is a country, New York. Um, well, Corinth was the place back then. Lots of people with wealth, lots of people with um, ability to come and start businesses and to do different things, they made a lot of money, but spiritual immorality was rampant. We know all of this. And so Paul's writing back to them to teach and correct to teach them about what the truth was because with all the Greek philosophy and all the different people coming from all over the place into Corinth, there's all this impact, there's all this influence. And he's going, no, 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 you're getting distracted here because people were coming in going, well, this is what I think it should be. It doesn't matter what you think it should be. It's a matter of what the truth is. So he's helping them to understand the truth of the word of God and what's really taking place. And now, not only is he going to help them understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the significance of it, he's going to now address what it is for us to one day have resurrected bodies, glorious bodies. And it's something that often we don't speak about because we don't fully comprehend it. So here's the good news. Today, you're gonna better comprehend it. Here's the hard news. You're not gonna fully comprehend it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? I'm going to go all the way down to 49. I'm not going to read all of it right now, but I'm going to get down to 49 for us. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Now, remember, you can leave this up here. Remember, he's writing to them because he's having to teach and correct. And some of them are going, hey, wait, this doesn't make sense to us. It's got to make sense to us. How does this happen? How how does it even work? But he already just told them from last week, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised, there is no resurrection. And if if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. Don't know how to be more clear about this. So he says that, how are the dead raised with? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Has to die first, right? You give your life to Christ. You rise again even in that, in terms of your faith and understanding of who he is. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain but God gives it a body as he has chosen. So he says, here's this bare kernel, throws it in the ground, comes up completely different. It's a new body. He gives an example here. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of a kind. And the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, This is from last week, going back to this. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, we know is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I'm already a little tired. That's a lot to unpack. And it's not even all the texts that we're going to run through today. So there are going to be a lot of other passages I dive uh, or pull from. So you might want to write these down. I'm not going to go and read all of them, but I am going to reference them so you can see the significance of what is coming at us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 35 through 58. Romans 23 promises, Romans 8, 23, promises a redemption of the body. That's also written by Paul there in Rome. And he is promising a redemption of the body and spiritually We have been redeemed, but we're waiting on a resurrection of the body. We're waiting on a resurrection of the body. Um, Anybody here ever have um, like just physical discomfort? Like anybody, like you already know I do. Like it's okay, I'm not complaining. You know, that's as high as my right shoulder goes. I've already talked about this. If all the bodies of the part don't work, like... Yay for me. And my kids like to hand me a ball. They're like, hey, Dad, see how far you can throw it. And then I kick them out of the house. And so it just, it just doesn't work. And th- sometimes you ever wake up in the morning and you get out of bed and you, you just you kind of get out of bed and you go, oh. yep. And you just have to stay here for a few hours. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody relate to this? Right? I just saw like a four year old raise their hand, shut up. <laughs> like, no, 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 I don't buy that one one bit. But if you're over the age of 25, you know what that is. And I was just like, oh man, it just hurts. Well, guess what? One day because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this body too is gonna to be resurrected. And we're gonna recognize what that is. And so now he's referring to our body as being a building for God. Right? For the spiritual. I thought, so earlier in this chapter, he refers to us as being the temple of God. We are the temple of God, and we're housing the spiritual. And so he gets to address this. And he says, You're gonna have a glorious body. And he, these questions right away are brought up. He says, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? He's he, he asking these questions. He's like, You guys, I know already, because he's teaching and correcting. So I'm hoping to teach some of you today, some of you are going to be corrected today. And he's coming and he's saying to them, listen, you're going, how, how, does, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Well, already in Acts chapter 26, verse eight, Acts 26, verse eight, if you're writing this stuff down, he says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why? Because he's already been raised from the dead. So if he himself has been raised, why is it? Why are you scratching your head here? And the skeptics, again, those Greek philosophers and all these different places, people from all over the place were coming in, and the skeptics had raised such questions, and so Paul is addressing them, right? And. And in many ways, we do ask ourselves, how can a corpse that has been buried be raised? How how does that work? Something that's been rotting, how can it be raised? How can something that's been in battle or maybe maimed or whatever, all of a sudden be raised and be made new? Um, How is it? that something that maybe has been burned and uh, that body has been raised a new life. I think about it from my grandfather. Some of you know the story already, but my grandfather, my father never met my grandf- his father because airplane war two exploded. And so I got dog tags, all we got back, right? And I think about that. I go, wait, how is that possible? What, what does that look like? So he's going, hey, you guys are asking the questions, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? And he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. We have to die first anyway. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen as to each kind of seed in its own body. So what Paul is going to do, he's going to speak about this right? And he's going to let them know, listen, if the dead are not raised, he did this last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. He's, if you go back to that, he says, if the dead are not raised, then just let us eat and drink for tomorrow, we're going to die anyway. So now he dives in and he addresses and he goes, but guess what? I'm going to help you understand this. And he gives four perspectives. This is what you're going to want to write down. He gives four perspectives. And again, the goal for you is to walk out today and go, oh, now I get it. And the first is an analogy of using seed, verse 36 through 38. And he uses this analogy with seed and he uses like this bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, right? Right beside my house, there's some cornfields. And so here um, we'll, we'll use corn. So you bury a seed of corn and all of a sudden it's dead. There's nothing that seed can do by itself. You bury that seed and all of a sudden you bury that seed and it gets in the soil and it begins to be watered and guess what grows out of it this giant stalk it doesn't does the stalk look like the kernel of corn that you put in the ground yes or no No Think about an acorn you put an acorn in it and it grows what type of tree Oak tree So you have this oak tree that came from this acorn. The the, the oak tree doesn't look anything like the acorn looked. And yet all of a sudden, this amazing majestic thing is coming out of it in 30, 40 years, 50 years. It's this beautiful tree. And you look at it and you go, wow, wait, if that can happen with seed, you've already, you see it on the everyday. So he's talking to people. He's using illustrations that they would go, oh yeah, huh, yeah. So I'm gonna do the same thing with you. Guys, don't you know right down the street, you've got a bunch of fields right across the street. You got some fields, you got some crop and the crop doesn't look anything like the seed that was planted. So if that's not a mystery to you, why is it a mystery that God who was raised from the dead through his son, Jesus Christ can do the same to our own physical body? Hello, everybody say that, right? That's what he's saying to them. I don't know what Greek word that is, but it'd be awesome to find out. He's like, hello, like don't you? Why is it a mystery to you now? And and in the very least, it makes you go, oh, yeah, like I don't question that with other things that I see that don't look anything like it did before. Before that kernel was dead and now it is alive and and because of the soil and then because of the water and it's springing forth to new life. Now I get, oh, a new body. It's not going to look the same. So this is the first way that he describes this. He says that our bodies are like seeds which grow into resurrection bodies. And when a seed goes into the ground, it's dead, but then it grows and it looks vastly different from the seed that was actually originally put into the ground. And so when you bury the body of a believer, you're sowing a seed that will come out as a resurrection body. So he uses this as an analogy. He's like, hey, don't you understand this? Don't you get this? that a new plant is going to come up. And it's not that our bodies are going to simply be, oh, it's just a a little bit better version of it. No, it's going to be without the same deformity, the same problems. By the way, God can do, of course, everything he wants. I'm also dumbfounded sometimes when people, we want to understand everything. Sometimes we're our greatest limitation, our greatest limiter and being people of faith because we want to understand everything every single detail. And there's a place of pride and arrogance that I can come from. You gotta be really cautious on that, okay, friends? But you look at it and go like today, even today with our own science and how limited we are, we'll take one piece of DNA from one cell and create. And yet we don't think the creator can do vastly more than that? Really? and all of our problems and all of our weaknesses, you don't think we can do a bit better? Yeah, we can do a bit better, but how about God? And he can take that one thing and go, you know what? He doesn't need every atom in your body. He just needs anything he wants. He can just make it happen. If anything, I should give you a lot of hope because some of you are in physical pain and physical hurt and there's discomfort and there's so much hardship in your life. But at the end, there is, there's a resurrected body that we have. This isn't often preached. It needs to be preached because it changes your perspective on life. And if you change your perspective on life, you walk through the everyday differently. And if you walk through the everyday differently, your actions are different and your words are different. And the way that you treat people are different and you make different decisions because you recognize the resurrection body is real. other things that he talks about. And I told you four perspectives. He uses the seed. I'll give you three other perspectives. He crams into two verses is flesh and our flesh animals and astronomy, heavenly bodies. So when he says heavenly bodies, he's talking about that. Okay. So he's flesh animals and astronomy. And this is what he says. Um, He says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one of a kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another for the moon, another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. It goes to 42 a here. So it is with the resurrection of the dead and he tackles this and he uses this analogy of the living in the heavenly bodies. There's one kind of flesh of men, another for animals, fish, birds, And our resurrection body will be suited for life in heaven, not life on earth. And while our present bodies are adapted for this environment, the environment that we have today for time, this environment that we have today on earth, our resurrection bodies will be adapted for the environment of heaven. Even heavenly bodies, celestial bodies, the sun, moon, stars seem to be infinite. We talk about that. They're infinite. And they're, everybody's like, oh, this one's different than this one. And this one is different than this one. Well, if that can be so enormous from the creator and so different, why is it that you're struggling? Remember, we're writing to the people of Corinth. Why are you struggling to understand that we can look different because of what Christ has done for us? Hopefully, at least four of you have gone, at least already, four or five of you have gone, oh, Okay, yeah, like if the seed can grow into that, look totally different, I guess I can look totally different too. If the, the stars and the galaxy and all the celestial beings can be so unique and so different, I guess I can look different too. That is, God can do whatever he wants and I don't have to understand it all, but wow, okay, now I'm starting to understand it. And then he contrasts and he lets us know why it has to happen this way. So he starts by giving us four different uh, perspectives. He goes from four perspectives and then he contrasts four different things. Four perspectives, four contrast. Four perspectives, four contrast. He says this in 42B to 44. He says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So he says, guys, don't you know that incorruption is going to triumph over corruption? So yeah, things have to look different. Glory triumphs over dishonor that power triumphs over weakness, that the spiritual triumphs over the natural. So hear this again. Incorruption is going to triumph over corruption. Glory is going to triumph over dishonor. Power is going to triumph over weakness. Spiritual is going to triumph over the natural. That means we get to be raised from corruption and raised in glory, raised in power. And so the new life is going to come because what we see here is that the corruption can't step into the eternity with the heavenly father because only that which is made right can exist with him. This is why he had to conquer death and to give his life because Jesus being perfect without blemish, without fall, took that sin for us. But the two of them cannot coexist. There is no, I'll take a little bit of the bad. No, he had to conquer the bad. He defeated the bad. He was victorious over the wrong, the sin. So he speaks into this. And helps him to see in these contrasts like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I'm understanding like if if he's glorious, the dishonoring can't coexist with him. And so he has to conquer that. It has to triumph over that. And the weakness can't coexist with the power of God. And so the weakness has to be gone. And the sin can't coexist with the glory and the the significance of who Christ is, the perfection of who Christ is. And so we had to be made new. One day I'm going to throw a ball again. And I'm going to throw a baseball at least 200 miles an hour. I can't wait. Because that's what I would be doing if I had a good shoulder, right? No, it's glorious to see what God's going to do with our bodies. And then in 45 through 49, he speaks about the atoms, the two atoms. He did this last week as well. You have the first Adam, Adam and Eve, creation. And then you have the second Adam. Jesus is known as the second Adam. Here's why, it's gonna help you understand this. It says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Adam and, Adam and, okay, thank you. (laughs) Little girl, boy, whoever it was in the corner, you win. Make your parents take you somewhere really good for lunch. Um, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. So here's the natural Adam and now the spiritual Christ, second Adam, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, man of dust, Adam, right? The second man is from heaven, equality with God, but submitted to God, Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we should also bear the image of the man of heaven. So here's what you have. This is is so, so simple. I'm gonna try to simplify this as best I can, at least. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The first man, Adam, gave us one kind of body. The second person, Adam, perfect man, Jesus, the second Adam, right? Gave us another type of body. And that's a life-giving spirit. One gave us a temporary body, one gives us an eternal body. And we're born in the image of the first Adam, yes. But those who put their trust, those who put their faith in the last image will have a resurrected body. That's why I was talking about the first Adam and the second Adam. You're getting theology 101 right now. They help you to have a general understanding of, oh, okay, so yeah, this kernel can become this tree, this stalk. It doesn't look the same. So I guess if that's not going to look the same and that was dead, that had no life, I guess I can look different too. And now all of a sudden we start to recognize that it's a beautiful thing to start to comprehend. One of the biggest struggles we have as believers today is I don't think we understand that there really is a greater to come. You ever heard the phrase of putting all your eggs in one basket? I always think about this more and more because my family, they want us to get chickens. And um, you can laugh, that's because it ain't gonna happen. Um, They have these things called grocery stores, but um, they wanna get chicken. I've been thinking about that. They're like, hey, let's get chicken. They just constantly come to me, let's get chickens. I'm like, I'm not getting chickens i not going to, I had chickens when I was growing up and I'm the guy who had to snap the neck and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Um, and I've been there, done that, not going to do the chicken thing. One time we had one get out and it came into our house somehow. And all of a sudden I'm walking to my bedroom. Here comes a chicken flying at me. And I'm like, I just, I'm damaged from that. I'm scarred. Um, and so I'm not going to do the whole chicken thing, but it's a whole chicken and egg. And you think about, man, don't count your, your eggs before they hatch, all this kind of thing. Well, when you look at this passage, He's telling them that some of the problems, some of the struggle that you're having is that you're putting all your eggs in one basket and it's all temporary and you're not investing in the future, which is eternal. Some of you are living life and all of your investment, the only thing that you can think about is today and this week. And it creates, by the way, those are the individuals who typically are the most stressed, they have the most anxiety, the most depression, because they put so much value in the right now. But as a believer, we better recognize what is to come. We had better recognize what is to come. So he's like, listen, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is verse 50 and following. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So that which can die can't inherit that which never dies. Perishable, imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery in a biblical sense is just something that is only understood by the spiritual rather than by human understanding. So there's the mystery of even the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, completely equal, yet the Son submitted to the Father. We talk about this continually here at Chapel Point. So there's a mystery there. Well, here's another mystery he refers to. He says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all sleep, which is is a really easy way of talking about death in the Bible when they say sleep. We shall not all die, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. It can't remain as is. The brokenness cannot remain and be with God for eternity. And this mortal body must, be put, must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Now I'm gonna get into that saying in just a second. But here's what you must also understand. Our bodies, they are subject to disease. They are subject to pain. They are subject to discomfort. They are subject to so many different things, to decay. They're not suited for heaven. But they will not remain as is. before the glory of God. And he tells him, listen, it's a mystery. You're gonna kind of get this with the kernel and how the wheat comes out of the ground and it looks so different than what it did when it went in the ground and maybe it helps you to understand, oh, okay, I don't fully understand it, but now I kind of get what you're saying. And he says, there's still a, a mystery. And then he starts speaking about this last trumpet and, the, and it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a twinkling of an eye is quick. At the last trumpet, the dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. Jesus will gather his people. Right? In first, Th- uh, first Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 through 18, it speaks about this very thing. Many people will say this is talking about the rapture. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about all of a sudden, oh, wait a second, here comes Christ and it speaks about this last trumpet. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this is not, um, there's seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. I don't think this is one of the trumpets that it's referring to. It's just saying, here's this last call for the Christians to know Christ has come. There will be a resurrection of our life. Rapture, it just, in, in, in Greek, the word rapture just means caught up. So we're gonna be caught up with who he is. That's what it means. Friends, that's why when we lose a loved one, and so many of us have lost a loved one, and it is so hard, and I have friends who are walking in that journey right now, but for the believer, there is a new life to be had in Christ. That's why we often, we can mourn for the temporary, but we will always rejoice for the eternal When when I've had loved ones, my father and other people pass away, I've mourned for me. I have rejoiced for them. And then he concludes with this. 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for this perishable, this is 53, and then I'm gonna jump into 54. He says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. The mortal must put on the immortality. We're gonna be new, we're gonna be different. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling us, Sometimes we think a resurrected body is just a resuscitated corpse, and it's so much greater than that that there's going to be a whole life and we are going to be made new. There's no more pain. It is a new life that will never die. Death is defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. And it's as though Paul is stepping in. He's almost taunting death. That's all you got? Jesus already whooped your butt. That's what he's doing. Don't you understand? What is already, some of us are so busy trying to win and we forget that we don't have to wait to see if we will actually win. Jesus has already won. It's one of the dilemmas that we have as believers today is we keep walking around and we're trying to be good enough and we're trying to make sure that we can do enough and we can achieve enough and that we go to the right school and we do the right thing and we're trying so hard and that way I won't be anxious and that way I won't have all this depression in my life and that way I will be in better relationship. Friends, quit trying to win a battle that's already been won. Jesus has already won. And as long as we're playing by the world to achieve eternal value, we're going to lose every single time. But we don't have to play by worldly value. We play by eternal value. We know that Jesus has already won. But we don't live that way. You guys are going to get me preaching. Because I just so badly want us to understand the depth of this. Some of you are already programmed. You know exactly what you're going to do when you walk out of this place. You're going to get everything ready for the week. And if things get misaligned and don't go the way that you want them to, and all of a sudden there's anxiety and there's all these other things that come because you find fulfillment in that. Fulfillment, true fulfillment, is only found in the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. Because as soon as the other thing happens and you have a good week, you've got to have another good week go. And if that week falls apart, then all of a sudden the next week falls apart and you're constantly having to do it. God made us to live different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Friends, we're not under the law in the same way anymore. We're certainly not going to be held to the penalty of the law, which is death. We're set free. Right? And we know that sin is the ultimate cause of that of death. We know that from Romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death. We already know this from the words of Paul. And then he says this. So he's like, man, don't you understand? Death's already been swallowed up in victory. Death has no more sting. This is so good. We already have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that good news? Yes or no? And so then he says, therefore, now we know I like my therefores here. The therefore this is what it means, as a result of, as a result of death and no longer has a victory. Death and no longer has sting. As a result of, therefore, my beloved brothers, be what? And be what? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in your Lord, uh, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, which in Greek is what? A-K. Some of you are going, how did so many people know that in Greek? If you come to Chapel Point, you uh, are fluent in Greek. (laughs) No, I've said this for this third week in a row. That just means I only had four people who listened. It's all good. Um, Everybody say AK. AK. We already know this. Here he comes and he says, listen, if death, If death has no more victory, death has no more sting, that we already can give thanks because the victory is already ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of all of that, we're going to be steadfast, immovable. You're going to plant your feet firm. And you're going to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in your Lord, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It means therefore, in light of all this, you're going to stand your ground. You're going to be the guy who just doesn't get up, give up no matter what. You ever played any type of athletic event you have the guy who just never stops? They just always run. They're always going to be that guy. Be the guy who just never gives up, the never give up person. Go get a t-shirt that says, I'm that guy. I don't know what's that mean. I'm the guy who will always run toward Jesus. I will never surrender my faith. My feet are planted firmly in the word of God. Bring whatever you've got because it's still not enough to dismantle anything from the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Death is defeated, amen? Paul David Tripp says the following great author. He says, living in light of the final death of sin. Just listen to this. Living in light of the final death of sin means living a life of courage and hope. It means standing strong against the seductive voice of temptation. This is why he's writing to the people of Corinth, because there's all these seductive voices saying, oh, we believe this. Or, no, 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 we don't. We believe this. And they all believe different things. He's going, this is true. He says, it means refusing. Living in light of the final death of sin means refusing to move when evil beckons. It means refusing to live for things that will soon pass away. It means giving your time, strength, resources, gifts, and energy to things that have eternal significance. It means understanding that you have been called to the Lord's work. And it means remembering that nothing you do in the name in the Lord's name is ever a waste of your commitment and is never a waste of your time because he is risen. And so we abound in the work of the Lord. Friends, serving the Lord is an outflow of the risen life of Jesus Christ. We already know the passage as well in Matthew, where he says, i am not come to be served, but to serve. Serving others with the love and the grace and the kindness of Christ is one of the greatest reflections we can have of Christ. And so we serve. Even when it's not reciprocated, we serve and we know that our labor is not in vain so I want to read this final thing to you because what what we're seeing is that victory is lived out by standing firm right and serving well victory is lived out in standing firm and serving well We'll be immovable and we will serve because we know that our labor is not in vain. Everybody say standing firm, serving well. Standing firm, serving well. So why don't we? Why are we being, as James chapter 1 says, it says we're being blown, tossed back and forth by the wave of the seas. Right? Why? Why are are we feel like we're being blown over here and then we're being blown over here and the culture is taking us over here and then we're going over here. Why is it that our feet are being uplifted, moved? Here's the problem, problem, solution. Here's the problem, life is a battle, amen? And from an early age, we are bombarded with ideas and thoughts that lead us away from God. And we know that Jesus demonstrated humility when dying for us, but the world says and promotes selfishness, not humility. And we are told that value is found in achievement. And so we strive to go to the right school and get the right degree that will allow us to get everything that we've been told that we deserve. And we try to find the right partner to be with and live in the nice neighborhood. And we wear all the best clothes. And much of this isn't wrong until we feel insecure and worthless without it. Friends, if you have to have the temporary to feel good about the eternal, you have missed the boat. And spiritual warfare surrounds us as people and political voices and agendas fight for our affection, fight for our attention. And at the end of the day, we can be left beaten down and weary. Anybody? And the stakes are enormous because the stakes are for eternity. Death is our enemy, but Christ promised to build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. Christ promised. And the gospel has changed everything in our battle. The death and the resurrection of Christ guarantees that we don't have to fight for victory, but that we already live knowing that we have it. Wouldn't it be sad to end your life going, wow, I have fought so hard for something that was already won for me. No wonder you're insecure. No wonder you don't have fulfillment. No wonder your relationships struggle. No wonder you have all these issues in your life because you're fighting a battle that's already been won. Jesus is victorious. So you keep listening to the world tell you that you've got to do this. And by the way, did you know the world is telling us to do things that five years ago it didn't tell us to do? And five years ago, it's telling us to do other things. And you're like a wave of the sea. You're blown, tossed back and forth over and over again. Until you find value and fulfillment in Christ, you will never find value and fulfillment. We gotta understand this. The solution of our problem is already given us Jesus. We are fighting a battle that's already been fought on our behalf. The power of the resurrection means victory. The problem is sin, the solution is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's already won. So we don't have to still live as though we're waiting for the outcome of a fight in order to have peace and joy because the outcome of the fight is already known. Jesus won. And friends, if you only ask God to change, please hear this. If you only are asking God to change your circumstance and not your heart, you will always be walking uphill. And some of you are waking up, some of you are like me, you're like, oh. Got to get this moving. And then others of you wake up every day and you go, why do I wake up every day and I feel like I'm walking uphill? Because you want God to change your circumstance, but you've never given them access to your heart. And so you'll really never know what the victory looks like. Standing firm. Say it. Serving well. That's what victory means for us. We can stand firm. So what I wanna do is this. I, um, we started before the message with you just having an opportunity, singing is worthy of it all with prayer. And we're gonna sing a song right now. And I'm gonna, um, go ahead and stand up. Will you go ahead and stand up? We're gonna have people spread across here. Um, some of our prayer team. And if you want someone just to pray with you, to say, I need to pray that I know what it is to have victory in Christ. You may already be a believer. That's okay. You just go, I need somebody else to pray with me. I need somebody to pray over me. And you're going to have an opportunity during this song to come forward and let somebody pray with you. There's going to, all you got to do is come up and say, my name is Ralph. I I know no Ralphs in here. I don't know why I chose that one. But my name is Ralph. I need prayer. And they're going to just pray for you that you would know what it is to have victory in Christ. Let someone pray for you. It's one of the coolest things you can encounter. And then the rest of us, we're going to declare that there's victory found in Jesus Christ as we worship him together. Let's worship the Lord. Mm